Hey, everybody. Before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You can also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. How's it going? This is David Rosen, your host of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie, try to figure out what other movies might have inspired it. And I'm really excited about this one today. Uh, We have part two of a movie that we did uh, one of our first episodes. But before we get into that, I just wanted to remind you all, please make sure to rate and review us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. Uh, Make sure you're subscribed to the show. And, uh, you know, please send us some feedback. We want to know what you're thinking about the show. We want to know how you're enjoying it. And also, if you're on Facebook, make sure to uh, join our group, Piecing It Together, a movie discussion group. Uh, So that way we can get some good conversations going with you, get some back and forth. We want to know, uh, you know, your thoughts on these movies that we're talking about. And maybe we'll uh, talk about it on the show, on on your thoughts. So please get involved, uh, join the group, and get in these conversations. Um, but yeah, today we are going to be talking about the epic conclusion to the reunion of Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero in Best Friends Volume 2. Uh, Best Friends Volume 1, of course, was the reunion of Tommy and Greg after, uh, what was it, like 15 years or something like that, since they made the cult classic The Room. Uh, just last year, uh, after the book that Greg wrote about his experience uh, got turned into the movie The Disaster Artist, um, they finally came back together to make a new movie, and we were shocked that it was as good as it was. We loved it. Um, I didn't expect lightning to strike twice, but it did. And you can listen to that episode and get the full uh, story of you know what we thought of it and everything, but... You know, the big surprise was that there was going to be a part two because nobody expected that after all those years that we'd be getting two new movies from them. And it really is two new movies because, as you'll find out in this episode, Best Friends Volume 2 is a totally different movie. Not just in that it's a separate movie, but I mean, it's a different movie. But, you know, we'll get into that. And uh, returning um, again as my co-host for this one, he was also the co-host on the first one, is Ryan Darty. And we actually did this one right after we both got back from screenings of the movie uh, real late at night. And it was a really fun one to do. So I think you guys are going to really enjoy this one. All right. So it is uh, Monday, June 4th, and both me and... Friend of the show, Ryan Darty, uh, just got back from our screenings of 
Best Friends Volume 2, the Fathom Events screening of this work in progress, apparently, of Best Friends Volume 2. And uh, we figured what better uh, time to just jump into this thing than right now after just getting home. <laughs> Let's um, just shoot from the hip and make this shit up the way the film directors did. Because yeah, exactly, exactly. We shouldn't prepare more to talk about their movie than they did. Yeah, well, when you when you texted me and said, hey, do you want to do it tonight? I was thinking, like, there's no way I'm going to prepare anything more with a couple of days of prep time. That's, yes, that's true. It's yeah, just so for not perspective, uh, this was a live streamed event. So everyone, um, you know, one of those Fathom events. And uh, Dave texted me, like, 45 seconds after the credits started rolling with, like, a what? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> let's just do this right now. Like, like, let's let's have this be done before midnight and pretend it didn't happen to us. <laughs> oh, man. Oh. Yeah, I, I, I was so very, very excited uh, for this movie because, as we talked about on the last one, um, Best Friends Volume 1 ended up so much better than I could have ever imagined that it would be. It yeah, was... we, we gave it a surprisingly positive review at the yeah, end. Yeah, yeah. Nobody would have expected uh, the, the follow-up to The Room to be anything worthwhile, but there it was, and it was yeah. awesome. And I, I right now, I still want to go see it again so bad. And uh, this, this sequel, because, you know, the big surprise with part one is that it ended up being a two-parter. Um, and the sequel... It's a different movie. It's a very different totally movie. Different movie. Um, different tone, different everything, really. And I, I'd say, I'd say mixed results. Uh, I don't. I I think you were saying that you actually kind of like it more than the first one. Is that I right? I enjoyed watching it more. Is okay. a better way to put it. Okay. Um, and I'm sure that will become fleshed out as we talk about things. Sure, absolutely. I don't necessarily yeah. want to say I think it was better or that I liked it more, but I will say I enjoyed watching it more. I definitely need to let it sink in some more. So things, before so. we get started, though, with yeah. um, a movie like this, I you need a fucking drink after that. So I poured myself a classic from The Room. Those of you who haven't seen The Room, uh, Scotchka, a scotch and vodka. But even worse than that, I had no scotch or vodka. So what we've got here is about a shot and a half of gin and a shot and a half of uh, Irish whiskey, uh, oh. both of which I despise, by the way. So I'm going to down this, and I'm going to struggle to keep it down throughout the duration of the film. And I think it's just going to set the mood really well for a movie like this, of me being on the verge of getting sick for the next 20 minutes or so. How old are um, you again? I'm 26. 26. I think if I had started this podcast when I was 26, I'd be drinking uh, uh, whiskey uh, gin. I'm also like nine more. feet tall and 500 pounds. <laughs> so like this is just a nightcap. Oh, yeah, or be as dead. this guy would say in the movie, this puts a little lead in your pencil. Yeah. That's a great line. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic line. Okay. Anyway, um, yeah. I'm going to make a toast to uh, the Piecing It Together podcast. And I'm just going to oh, say if a lot of people loved each other, the world would be a better place. There you go. Thank you very much. Oh, <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> I felt that myself. Oh, my God. Oh, man. I hope we don't lose you before we get to the first puzzle. <laughs> no, we're good. I just need a minute. Oh, my God. My face is beat red right now. Boom. Wow. So all my friends who are listening to the podcast... 
this is probably the part where you're going to stop listening to it, but <laughs> mission accomplished in the George W. Bush kind of way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So but, before, before we you get talk, into the – I drink pineapple juice. Sure, absolutely. I'll talk to the people, yeah. Uh, but before we get to the puzzle pieces, um, like I said right when we just started here, uh, th- this is not a movie that we really could have done that much preparation for because – it is just so strange and so <laughs> just just out of control weird. And so I don't know that it's going to necessarily follow our usual uh, oh, I've got uh, structure. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I got four. I, 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 do, I, I do have some they're written down. Ones, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, I have more director, directors and genres, but then I also have uh, one or two movies as well. So, you know, we'll see how it goes, but uh, expect it to be a weird episode for sure. Um, and that, that's if Ryan makes it through it. Oh, no, I'm good. This is the last bit. Blowing my nose. <laughs> I have tears in my eyes. Get it out, buddy. My Get it out. My throat is scratchy. I, I really, really, really don't like whiskey. I can tolerate gin. What, you're kidding? I can't drink this. Jameson? Yeah, there's Jameson. All right. Oh, God. It's a <clears throat> Piecing It Together podcast brought to you by Bombay Sapphire. And Jameson Irish whiskey for the best of times and the worst of times. Beautiful. So I'm gonna let, I'm gonna let you go first with your first puzzle piece then. All righty. Uh, so first one I'm gonna do I'm gonna do a throwback to one of the things I cited last time, but much okay. more specifically, uh, specifically the movie Psycho. Um, uh-huh. About the movie starts. These people have stolen a bunch of money. They're trying to get away. They're stopping at multiple locations. They have no idea who to trust. Everyone is kind of suspicious and maybe a murderer. Like when they first get to like a hotel area, it seems like maybe they, there's something wrong with the hotel because it's very creepy. And they go to a ranch and the other people on the ranch, it seems like, oh, you can't really trust them. And since the movie in general just kind of has Hitchcockian vibes, which large Absolutely. parts of the first one did. Sorry, still... <clears throat> The bourbon's fighting back. Um, oh, no. That's, no. I'm not going to get sick, but like you're definitely going to have a lot more coughing than usual on these podcasts. <laughs> um, but yeah, so a lot of the time, I very specifically felt like I was watching an homage to Psycho in some way, um, <laughs> which especially works with you know how weird Tommy's character is and stuff like that, um, and the things that happen with the uncle and stuff like that. Um, I don't sure. really have a lot to go into that because it's very much just a, oh, there are a lot of similar plot points to this, especially with how it's established in the beginning. But I think it's sure. a good callback to the first episode where I cited uh, Hitchcraft, uh, Hitchcock movies in general. Mm-hmm. So now I finally get to narrow it down. And the first Beautiful. one, it was sort of Vertigo. This one, it's sort of Psycho. And most importantly, I haven't seen either of those films. So yes. the trend continues. Beautiful. Yes, yes, yes. I love it. I love it. And by the way, it, uh, in the theater, I actually did think Psycho because of that one scene when they're pulling up to the bed and breakfast and that weird bed and breakfast guy who has the line of the movie is looking yes. out the window. And that was like total Psycho. Like staring, yeah. yeah, that's that's very Psycho. I think I've seen the Vince Vaughn Psycho, actually. Oh my God. <laughs> Not the real one. <laughs> I definitely have now that I think about it. That's amazing. <laughs> All right. So, so what uh, do you got to start us off? Yeah. My first uh, puzzle piece, and I don't, I, you know what? I don't have my notes in front of me. I don't remember if I said this on the other one, but certainly this one more than the first one. Anyway, uh, the Coen Brothers. Um, yeah, just yeah Coen... you, said, you said, uh, you said like a simple plan for yeah, I did. Or okay, simple or whatever for the first one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So yeah, but Coen Brothers even more so this time. Um, yes. This time, this time around, you have like every scene has another weird character with like, like really great character actors doing really strange things. <laughs> and um, yes, this movie yeah. definitely kind of cemented the thing from part one. Of in part one, there were times you weren't sure if it was bad actors or bad writing or what. This right. makes it very clear. This movie that the directors and the writers gave these guys the material and said, fucking run with it. And that was actually yeah. something I really liked about it. Like every character, even if it was bad acting um, or bad writing that they were working with, it was enjoyable as hell to watch them be like bizarro. Yeah. Like Coen brothers, he type people. Yeah. I know I, I don't want us to cite David Lynch because we did a lot last time as well. Sure. Um, but yeah. also the same kind of thing of just the bizarro surreal characters. Um, another another Coen Brothers uh, thing is um, that this while there were so many questions raised in part one that we're looking for the answers for in part two, uh, I'd say we get more questions in part two than we uh, get answers yes. of anything. <laughs> and certainly not not being given clear cut answers is very much a Coen Brothers uh, type of <laughs> thing to happen. And yeah, right now, I i mean, is Tommy a knight? Is, you know, <laughs> I mean, those pictures at the end made me think he may have been around since the Dark Ages. Um, right, because like, the Black like, like the black Dahlia murders yeah, was, oh, and like, yeah, like the, the mid-40s. <laughs> and the implication is... That like he was like a twenty year old dude who was like engaged to Elizabeth Short, I think was her name, and then she died, and then he went on for the next ninety years since then or whatever. That like just and and he's and at first when we saw that my friends and I tried to be like oh wait maybe part of the twist is that best friends actually takes place like in the eighties or something like that. And then we were like, no, they have iPhones and we're using GPS. Right. Like, yeah. Especially the, gr especially the girlfriend. Like, okay. No, no. I didn't <laughs> with her, with her mall the, phone case. <laughs> I didn't consider the possibility that like, that was supposed to actually be like a picture of Tommy. <laughs> like they didn't have pictures of medieval times. So that doesn't make sense. But the idea of Tommy has been like kicking it since the 1600s just picking up hobos and teaching them life lessons like sounds <laughs> like that should be its own like that's like an anthology like crypt keeper kind of movie like just a yeah it's it, it's a cinematic <laughs> universe it's just it's just different and, and each time it's got to be greg playing the the hobo and but just in different oh, centuries shit are we citing cloud atlas as an, <laughs> an inspiration right now because i haven't seen cloud atlas so i will gladly well, cite it as a reference you know you know what fuck it i'm putting cloud atlas on the list right <laughs> cloud atlas on the list because we now think this is like an infinite cycle of reincarnation between <laughs> Greg atoning for some past sins and Tommy being burdened as his like guardian angel or something. If we ever get Greg Sestero on part three of this show, um, yes. I, I will I will leave Cloud Atlas off yes. because we know that's not right, but it's definitely going on the official it's list. It's absolutely going on the fight. Better, yeah, be better believe it. If we get Greg, I think we have, if we get Greg, um, and I think we should continue my approach of just trying to start a low-key Twitter war with Greg in the hopes that it causes him to come on this podcast just to tell me to shut the fuck up, which is a good plan. 
Because I'm still taking credit for inspiring him to write part one, and nothing besides him will stop me that. But um, <laughs> first thing we got to ask 100% was, was that really photos of young Tommy Wiseau? <laughs> I think that's definitively the first thing is, yeah. are these actual photos of Tommy from 30 years ago that they used as like the long time ago photos? Uh, and then the second thing is, was Tommy in this fucking movie? Because the entire <laughs> goddamn movie, and you know, I'm going to do my next puzzle piece right now, which is fucking okay, get out, and that's for two reasons. And one of them is because Tommy wears a goddamn knight's helmet on his head, the entire <laughs> fucking movie. That's not the only reason I'm citing get out, but that's definitely <laughs> two movies in the past two years about a crazy white dude with long hair putting on a knight's helmet and just fucking shit up in modern day times. <laughs> Like, God, well, I, I did not see that one coming and I love it. But you've seen Get it. Out, right? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'm going to start with that. But so my, so my theory is definitely just that, like, Tommy was not around as much for the filming of this. And that's why he's wearing the helmet the entire time. And that's why he's got masks on the whole movie is just because it was like stand ins the whole time. Like they, um, like they like Brandon Lee and the crowed him kind of thing mm, of just mm. like he did some dubs and otherwise there's just some dude, some stand in in a wig in the middle, like wearing like ballistics combat gear in the middle of the hot Arizona desert with a nice <laughs> helmet on having to like bobble his head back and forth in time to like pre-recorded Tommy Wiseau lines. And I'm, I'm just, pretty pi- sure- I'm just picturing God, the balls to make a Tommy was so basically movie and not have him in it. (laughs) I do think I've heard, though, that this was supposed to be one movie. Right, right. And they just ended up having to split it in half, more or less. And I'm sure they had to make some, you know, strategic concessions for that. But I I wonder if originally it was going to be a lot more distributed and instead they had to go this flashback style. Uh, Yeah, see, I'm wondering... Oh, I was just gonna say, I'm wondering if if they they were cutting it down and it was just a little too long, and so they said, "Fuck it, let's film a bunch of stuff without Tommy and make yes. a second part." Sure, you know, I, mean, I think like, that's let's cut a little a bit really out of part movie. one and shove it into a part two with a whole bunch sure. of new footage. Um, sure. Which I mean, I mean, you know, technically that is kind of what a sequel is, yeah, but yeah. I, you know what I mean. Aside from reusing uh, unused footage, but. Yeah. Uh, but still, I, I definitely think that may have been what happened here, for better or worse. That that I didn't consider that, but that sounds likely. So the other reason I cited Get Out was just for the vibes with the uncle on the ranch. Um, mm. The whole like like this movie like so when I describe Get Out to people, um, everyone always talks about like what a great actor the main guy in it was, and I always have to counter that with eighty percent of his job in Get Out was nodding and laughing awkwardly at things people said and going like, <laughs> yeah, like that, that's, that's what get out was like a hundred percent a great movie. But like yeah, the, the main character, great actor, he just laughed and said, yeah, yeah, a lot. And I get that that's probably what being around white people is like, but still um, there was so much of that in this movie. Cause the uncle was just balls to the wall is insane. And it would oh, just be yeah. like, Hey, did I ever tell you about this time? I was in high school and I played football. And then also, did I tell you about this fat chick I fucked? That was pretty cool. We wrestled. I'm stronger than her. I'm I'm so strong. Are you strong? Let's let me just get a pump on right now. And then Greg would just be like, huh, Yeah. And like, 
<laughs> and like there's scenes where like it looks like the, the uncle's insane and you're just like oh i have no i like i know i can't trust anyone here but i haven't figured out why i can't trust anyone here. right 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 you're um, absolutely right about and, that and, and yeah. to, to the to the director's credit and the actor's credit so um you know um, immediately when she starts getting the phone calls it's very obvious she's gonna betray him and that the person who she's calling is not who um she says he is Sure. But within 15 minutes, the actor playing the uncle was so committed to how bizarro the uncle was that I actually stopped and went, you know, I think I'm wrong. Like, I think he actually is just her weird fucking uncle. Right. Just a and weirdo, he, but he's cool. But he's not. Act and I was like, because originally the obvious thing is like, oh, she's calling her real boyfriend. And then yeah. and then when he first shows up, I'm like, oh, that might still be true. But after like 15 minutes, like especially um there's the scene where he makes the drink and says like put lead in your pencil and you're like oh shit this is the moment where he's gonna drug that he's gonna drug greg and then they're gonna run away with the money and then he yeah. wakes up the next morning and you're like oh i all right and like once that happens i'm on board with i guess this is just a weird uncle i also want to clarify in my head canon he really is her uncle like this is not like yeah. her boyfriend <laughs> pretending to like be her uncle for the sake of the scheme. This is like some just dude who fucks his niece yeah, and yeah. is like, "Hey, why don't we rob people? Why, like, like let's double down on how many of the Ten Commandments we can like break at once." <laughs> like, I don't know if incest is on the Ten Commandments, but it's probably like number eleven if it didn't make the cut for the top ten. Sure. Uh, yeah. like it, it was one of like the five Mel, uh, Mel Brooks dropped in uh, history yeah. of the world. It's like, don't fuck your niece and yeah. Greg Sestero. Like, <laughs> but, I'm sure Tommy yeah. <laughs> uh, is, is somewhere in those commandments as well. Oh, you know what? Actually, I wonder, you know, actually, though, now that you're mentioning Tommy, I wonder if because so, so much of the shit in this movie could be taken as an allegory for the Tommy and Greg relationship. And it's really right. hard to tell what is and what isn't. Like when we walked out of the theater, my friend said, so was Greg pushing Tommy off the cliff a metaphor for releasing the disaster artist? And I was like, oh, shit, maybe it was. Because if that's, that's the case, then the uncle is definitely an allegory for the weird, creepy, homoerotic overtones that Tommy allegedly had with Greg. Sure. Um, if you remember that from the disaster artist where they yeah. always were like, yeah, Tommy's just like a little bit of like a, like a, oh, I'll say a little bit of a Brian Singer right there, but, um, <laughs> apologize. Brian, well, Brian Singer is my favorite director, but I'm also not a big fan <laughs> of fucking little boys. So, you know, usual suspects was good. I don't know if it was that good. So, um, but yeah, so I, I, that could be an explanation for why that character was the way he was. And I only just thought of that right now. <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious that you know just, an, another another thing i was thinking uh along with the the idea of, of how much of it is allegory for their relationship i was also wondering we, we all know this is inspired by a true story about a road trip they took together like yes, where what, Greg what parts yeah what parts exactly were that road trip like <laughs> the part where what, they drove to vegas yeah the part where they were in a car like i mean what else <laughs> What else of this story happened in their real life road trip? I... <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that's like like this is like Greg's like cry for help that he's like, <laughs> like like in the interviews like Greg blink four times if Tommy is holding you against your will, and instead he just writes a whole script about oh all these god. things. Oh my god! All right, you got another movie to cite? 
Sure. Well, uh, this one, uh, I was just going to say um, Westerns just as a genre yes. um, in general. Uh, you know, definitely like I, I don't think this one was as as well shot as the first one, which I that also lends to this being not really split off from the first one and being something they went and shot after the fact. Um, but it still is, you know, with that setting of the desert and all these like small desert towns and stuff like that, uh, you know, just kind of gives that Western feel. Then also just the, the whole, uh, the whole mystery of with of, Greg uh, being like a silent protagonist happen. and stuff too. Absolutely. That, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Good point. In. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's a good point. too. While you're talking about how well it's shot, can we talk about that? There was clearly a moment where the director said, Hey, these cameras work pretty good in the dark, right? And the guy in charge of the cameras said, "Nah, should we get ones that work good in the dark?" And the director said, "No, I don't think anyone anyone will notice." <laughs> like there was like, and it, the first one that was a big problem with it too was every time the cameras went outside, there was a marked yeah. drop in quality. I will say, I think these outdoor scenes were filmed better than the outdoor scenes in the first one. Yeah, because there were some pretty um, bad ones in the first one. There were some weird ones in this one, though, like when they were driving in the dark and you would see like stars in in like in the darkness. But like, the, like I are, guess are there were city the weird, lights. Are you talking about the weird lens flares? But that would, no, like, they were in the just, top right corner of the camera. No, no, okay. no, not they weren't like lens flares. They were more like a the, dozen the, little bright stars. Huh. Like I don't know, it was really strange. I definitely noticed like, that. What's the word like bokeh or whatever? Like the, the yeah, bokeh like bokeh. Was very they weird. They did a lot of a lot of that. They, they did yeah, a lot there, of that. There was a lot. I don't think it was on purpose though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, there was, I I was definitely impressed though by the amount of times they would do like a hey, let's do a pullback like drone footage type of thing. Oh yeah, um, a lot of drone footage. A lot of drone it, footage. It seemed, and then there was the random bit of GoPro footage when like Greg killed himself or whatever. Um, <laughs> hey, real quick, while we're talking about Greg killing himself, uh, and that reminds uh -huh. me, he landed on a lemon tree. So I'm just gonna throw out a brief plug for uh, lemon stealing whore as an inspiration. Are, are you aware of? Are you aware of what lemon stealing whore is? I do not know what that is. Do you actually not know what lemon stealing whore is, or are you just refusing to admit it on camera? <laughs> No, I don't know what I don't know what that is. Okay, so this is it's a meme. I'm not actually super familiar with it, but there's a porno that's like very popular on the internet where the premise of why he's having sex with the girl is because she stole lemons from his lemon tree. And then multiple times he goes, "You lemon stealing whore." And and it's like like this is a quote people will say to each other. But like there's there's just one great scene where like he's with the other girl and then they're both like, "Let's just turn around and look away from our lemon tree for 45 seconds and hope nothing bad happens." And that's verbatim what they say. And then the lemon stealing whore sneaks in and steals all the lemons and makes some eyes at the camera for a minute. And I feel like that well, uncle would fit so well. Oh yeah, absolutely. With that movie, because he like grabs the lemons from the trees a couple times. Because lemons are like a weird motif in this movie. It's like a like the way apples are in the room. Is there's like there's lemons on the trees that he that stop him from killing himself. Because when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Um, Tommy yeah, I need has, I need to see these movies again. Tommy, <laughs> yeah. I didn't even catch no, that. No, yeah, 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 yeah. So <laughs> so like five times they. So first of all, I think the song that was playing on the record has the word lemons in it. Um, oh, I think you're right. Yeah. I think I did hear that. And then Tommy has lemons. And at one point he says, like, when life hands you lemons, you make lemonades. And he's, like, holding lemons. Um, when Greg lands, on, like, when he jumps at, um, to kill himself and, like, 
it looked like he was jumping off a bridge to kill himself in a river but then he clearly landed like in the middle of a forest on a tree uh-huh. um <laughs> I, I think i missed something there but that's a lot what it looked like uh was i believe there was a lemon next to him when he got up and that there may have been lemons in the tree as well um and it just seemed like that was the recurring motif of like when life gives you lemons make lemonade which like i don't remember that being very present in the first one as like a interesting weird motif um, well you know, you want to know what was going through my mind at that at that point yeah. um was that the fact that they were going to show what happened that led him to be on the side of the road bloody under that lemon tree yeah. uh, at the beginning of the first one i thought this was going to be some weird like loop thing like an inside lewin davis like the the movie is like, like a, a constant like, a time, like, like, like a he's forever in purgatory loop. or something yeah like a purgatory type thing a constant loop and yeah so i basically just wrote an entire movie in my head like mm. for a minute or two after that until uh i think uh you know something came and just snapped me you out you know what though i was actually in a very similar boat where about like 15 minutes into the movie I turned and the theater was pretty empty. So like I was able to talk reasonably loud and I turned to my friends. And I said, I swear to fucking God, if it turns out Tommy and Greg are the same person, I'm going to punch someone. Cause I like definitely <laughs> was like, Oh, it, you know what it was? It was, it was when he was sitting in the motel and he had a couple weird flashbacks where suddenly he was covered with blood again. And then he wasn't covered with blood again. Oh and yeah. 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 I was like, Oh shit. What if like, Greg is like an alternate personality of Tommy that couldn't like cope with something. And this is his way of like giving him a fresh start. And he's just been like, like Tommy hasn't been real this whole goddamn time. And I was trying to think like, were the three of them ever on camera together? I think they were, but um, for a minute I was like, I swear to God, they better not be the same person. Like, <laughs> and that would have been such a uh, easy thing to do, but I, I, I'm, I'm glad they didn't do it yeah, though. Yeah. <laughs> so what's your uh, next puzzle piece? Um, saw, actually. So hmm. uh, specifically referring to every scene where it cuts to like Greg handcuffed to uh, the spiral staircase, and and essentially Tommy's monologue is, "You wasted your life, and you betrayed the people who cared about you." I'm going to judge you, and then we're going to determine what we're going to do with you. And that is straight jigsaw, like like a hundred percent. Especially because for most of the movie, you don't know if Tommy's the good guy or the bad guy in this situation. Right, and right. Show yeah. there's syringes, and like he like at some point, like almost literally, I think says like, "What are we going to do with you, Greg?" Like, and he, yeah. he says like, "You know, life handed you lemons, and I tried to make you lemonade and stuff." And it's very much like the original Saw. When I think, you say it so sinister when you say it. Yeah, right? yeah. We're going to make some <laughs> lemonade. But, lemonade. Uh, that's how I'm going to pick up women from now on, too, with that line. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, yeah. The, the way he sort of says that and trails off, you don't know what's up. And, like, in the original Saw, like, I think one of the guys he tortures straight up is someone who had, like, tried to kill themselves. And he was like, if you mm-hmm. don't find yeah. life precious, uh, let's see if I can... <clears throat> If you don't, no, I, there's no way I can do the saw voice, um, but I will try anyway, and it won't come through. If you don't find your life precious, you just have to sit here and not fucking do anything. But that would be a really boring movie. So try crawl out of here through this barbed wire, you piece of shit. I'm pretty sure that's how it went in Saw One. Uh, <laughs> sounds about right. Sounds about right. Uh, that being said, if they're looking for writers for Saw 17, I am on board. I don't think we're at 17 yet, but that's good. It gives me time to prepare. Um, it gives yeah. you a little bit of time, right? Uh, yeah, more than I prepared for this interview, obviously. 
uh, the interview as if this is like I'm the special guest, and you're like, well, right. Um, yeah, I, I I paid good money for you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely the lemons that are being handed to you right now. But I, yeah, uh, hardcore Saw vibes for that entire thing, especially because like I and the flashbacks as well, because like Saw told a lot of the Saw movies tell their sequence in someone's chained to something someone is lecturing them on their life let's cut back and forth and show how they got to this moment and then there's like the big twist and in this case the twist is tommy bought a house like yeah also (laughs) he bought it with greg's money though right like like with his you know i'm not sure about that either i was just so like watching in awe at that whole ending and plus the fact that paul shear was in it um which just uh, just took it to a whole nother level and that would make that um, would make sense because that was probably filmed on the same day that the scenes other scenes with paul Shear from part one are filmed were filmed which is why right right you know, tommy was there but god it was just it was just so weird i don't know yeah. where so that it sort of what money that like was that he had said like hey what was your dream my dream is to go back to my childhood home and then he took his his half of the money and bought it and, and i just want to talk about how that's not what friends do because like my <laughs> dave let's let's just do a hypothetical situation you and i have we we each make forty thousand dollars off of this episode of the podcast because tommy is sure. clearly paying us and, uh-huh. and we're sitting around drunk in vegas and you go like hey ryan what's your dream and i'm like my dream would be to have 15 corgis and like nine thousand pounds of sour patch kids and if okay. you then took my $40,000 and bought me 15 <laughs> corgis and 9,000 pounds of Sour Patch Kids, I would not be happy with you. Like You'd be a little upset. Because I could have bought it myself with the $40,000. Also, he's homeless. He, he's bleeding. Like, there's there's bills he needs to pay. And now suddenly he's house poor. Because, like, uh, do, you, do you own a house? Yes. Oh, okay, right. And you know there's that moment like when you first get a house where you're like, this is cool, I've got a house, but now I have yeah. no money, right? Like right. that was yeah. the gift he gave to Greg is <laughs> like, hello, man who has been homeless for 30 years who then just got his hands on a bunch of money. Here is a home in the suburbs. You don't have a car, by the way, but welcome to your house. And, you know, you're going to have to deal with rent payments, with uh, electric bills. Like, I hope you know how to, like, fix sinks and mow lawns. Because, like, like, welcome. To- and he signed him up for fucking college. And is like, college next week. You just, got, you just went through all this shit. And now you, you right. go go get learning. Right. Go, go like, get to it. Like, what the fuck, man? Like, and you know what I just you know what I just thought of though is the brilliance of Greg's writing. That until this second, right now, I thought the whole buying a house thing was Tommy's idea. Like it just it feels so Tommy Wiseau. Yes, and it, okay, but I know what Greg Sestero no, wrote it, right? right? right. Like, but it's very much in the vein of the room where where Tommy just yeah. gives and gives and gives, and he's a nice guy who's like very misunderstood, right? Yeah, that's- he wrote the perfect Tommy ending. Yes, like absolutely. Like if it was gonna be a happy wow. ending ish, um, like that, that's 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 a Tommy ending for sure. And Greg definitely Greg gets some credit for that yeah. for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's-, that's crazy. That I I seriously in my mind as I'm watching it, I'm like. 
this is so Tommy like, but not this is so Tommy that Gregor, this is this Tommy wrote Tom. this ending and directed this yes. ending. Like, yes. you know what I mean? <laughs> um, one thing I, I do want to talk about in this scene is I'm 80% sure that Paul Shear's contract stipulated that he had to have a scene where he puts his arms around Tommy's shoulders and they cackle together. Because like, yeah, and, and and what did he say? He said, "Tommy goes, it's your dream come true, right?" And he's supposed to be talking to Greg's character, but I think yes. he's talking to Paul. Shear. No, there's definitely a moment where Paul, <laughs> where Paul chimes in when no one's talking to him. Like it's like while he's walking away over his shoulder, he's like, he's like, "You bet it is." Like, but but like it's very conspicuous that like he's about to walk away, but instead he just. You know, right? Because like I don't hang out with that many realtors, but if I didn't know one, <laughs> and he just like like me and my friend were laughing and smiling because we just because he just bought my first house for me, and it, and the crippling realization of adult responsibilities hasn't quite hit me yet, and the realization that my friend spent all of my money hasn't quite hit me yet. I would just like, hey, yeah, I've got a house. Hey, best friend, you bought me this house. Hey, realtor, you sold him this house. Ha, 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 ha. And like in my in my theater, everyone laughed along with that, but not like in the like, ha, ha, we're laughing. This is funny. Like we all did the ha, 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 ha. Like we're joining in on this too. And I definitely think that, and, and like Paul Shear was looking right at the camera and smiling ear to ear while he was doing it. So I definitely he think- He must have been was, like, so fucking happy. Was, like, yeah, he, he must have been so happy. Just smile all day long after he left that. Because I gotta, Just... I gotta assume they've done the room on how did this get made before. Oh yeah, they um, did, they did. It's what it's one of his favorite movies. Oh, sure. Yeah, and they yeah. did. So, yeah, they did it, and they did the disaster and, yeah, artist and he as well. Was, he was, and, him and his yeah. wife were both in the disaster artist. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, who was also? <laughs> oh wait, yeah, Jason Man Mansukis was also. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah. Yep. Oh, so all three of them, yeah, from how did this get made? Were in the disaster artist. I didn't put that together until right now. I Just forget, amazing. I forgot Jason was in. That. I love Jason. Um, oh yeah. But yeah, so that I, I, I was really happy Paul Shear showed up again, uh, just for a moment. And that that picture Amazing. they used of him was a pretty perfect one too for his like thumbnail. Oh or yeah, whatever. like it was. <laughs> I, I definitely hope that like was like the mug shot he used to use or the headshot he used to use back in like his human giant days or something. <laughs> yeah, when I when I first saw it, I thought it was like a little on the nose. Yes. But then when they showed it again it's and again, I was like, like I was like, agent. fuck yeah. yeah. I was like, come on, yes. No, what, what, once you see it in the context of him smiling trying to sell it home. Also, I love the way he just like picked up the house for sale sign and then walked away. I'm, like it wasn't like his car was right in front of there. Um, like, you know, that was very Stella like, that moment. Yes. Yeah. He's like very much like, <laughs> if there's one thing I like to do as a real estate agent, it's park five blocks down. But in my mind, <laughs> that was actually because like Paul Shear's character was like a genie or something. Or like, like <laughs> if the camera held on him for like 45 more seconds, he was going to like fade away into the dust or something. And it was going to be like, <laughs> His last mission was completed, like like just a mischievous little like. And with that, Greg Sestero found the one thing he'd been looking for all along. Maybe he didn't have his family anymore, but he certainly had a family. And then he just winks and then blows away in the woods or something like that. God damn it, that movie. All right, so my my next yes. puzzle piece um, <laughs> is actually my favorite movie Ooh, of all time. It is adaptation. Yes. Okay. And, which I still haven't seen. And yeah, you haven't. Okay. No. And well, I love Nicholas Cage. It, Context. I'm going to do a plug right now. July 14th. Everyone should watch Con Air and The Wicker Man back to back because that's certainly what ooh. I will be doing for Cage Fest 2018. Always thrown on the week of July 14th because that's the day his daughter. It's his daughter's birthday. July 14th. 
So when Damn, in doubt, I would love to go to that. No, uh, it's literally just a bunch of people in their houses watching movies. But that's oh really? Is, okay, I'm doing watch it. Con Air on the 14th, and you always watch Wicker Man last. So if you're only doing a I'm one play, night, I'm event, planning on it. You do those two together. I, I, I'll hook you up with a T-shirt. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk oh, to you about it later. Wow. I, I've got like nine Cage Fest shirts, um, <laughs> and I still haven't seen adaptation. <laughs> well, a, a, a very small spoiler for adaptation, sure. but. Um, so aside from just the tone, uh, which reminded me a little bit of it, um, there's two specific scenes that that completely reminded me of it. Uh, one was was the final scene of the girlfriend Tracy, uh, reminded me of Meryl Streep's final scene in adaptation. Okay, um, just just screaming at, <laughs> at the main character, um, Nicolas Cage. So that that uh, that scene totally just reminded me of that, which is such a great moment to me. <laughs> um, but then also uh, Uncle Rick uh, reminded me totally of a cross between uh, John LaRoe, uh, which is, uh, what's his name, Chris Cooper's character in Adaptation, and Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite. Oh, my God. Uncle Rico. <laughs> oh, my God. It's kind of a cross so I'm not, like, super into Napoleon Dynamite, so, like, I kind of, like, put that movie down. But you're, oh, my God, that uh-huh. is so Uncle Rico. <laughs> like, we could do a whole episode just on comparing that uncle character to oh, he's so many. He's so many great so characters many rolled into one. And oh, I, yeah, I gotta look up that dude, um, and yeah. and try find <laughs> some like. Bat he's shit. definitely the standout of this movie yes. between him and and the uh, the uh, the bed and breakfast guy. Yes, they're, yes. they're the two. Ben bed and sure. breakfast guy was pretty fantastic. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, and this was kind of the equivalent of there was that character in the first one who was like four different businessman stereotypes rolled into one. The dude who like mm, brought yeah, yeah. the hookers to like the mortuary, because <laughs> that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, and he yeah. was like simultaneously the dude who's not looking up and is typing on his BlackBerry, and also the mob guy, and also the like <laughs> the like sleazy film producer guy. Like he was like all three of those at once. Um, and I I think crazy Uncle Rico was definitely a better better take on that. I would go oh, so far so as to say, good. fuck you. Let's just put it in Napoleon Dynamite just because of how much Uncle Rico really does. Like, that's like Uncle Rico after he finally snaps, basically. Yeah, right, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All right, I'm adding it to the list. Yeah, yeah, fuck it. <laughs> uh, what is your next uh, real puzzle piece then? So those three were those three were my main ones for sure, was, was Saw, Get Out, and Psycho. So let, let me think. I've been trying to think of a good brotherhood movie or a movie where like there's a very very one-sided friendship um mm. and no- nothing is super jumping out at me um <laughs> i'm just thinking of greg's fighting moves now and trying to see if i can think of like a great bad <laughs> fighting movie to cite that as an example for um you know for all the scenes of just people traveling in the desert maybe i would cite the daft punk movie that literally just consisted of robots walking in the desert for two hours um is that a thing yeah they made like an art house film i want to say like 15 years ago and like 80 percent of it is just shots of like nevada deserts and the two dudes walking through it um there's like a lot of walking in that movie um I, I don't even know that this yeah, exists yeah it, it definitely i'm putting it on the, on the yeah, list yeah check, check it out um I, I haven't seen it of course but um i've fast forwarded through it on youtube before 
because I've told that's the way yeah. to watch it if you're not going to like drop acid and watch it or something. Um, <laughs> and I've never done acid before, but I feel like if I did, my first time wouldn't want to be watching robots walking through the desert because like also there's a plot they, they oh my god no it's totally this movie because you know another plot point of it is is so so it's like a world where everyone in the world is one of the two robots from daft punk and there are two who don't fit in so they print human faces like they make oh, they wow. make face masks and put them on their faces to pretend to be humans and they just walk around like that for a while and all the other robots are like you're so weird you're wearing a mask and then the masks melt in the heat and then they just walk into the desert and kill themselves um <laughs> so look up what it's yeah, it look up what it's called weird. but now that i remember the mask thing and this like this is literally like i wikipedia this movie in like 10th grade and i think like my brother and i watched like four clips of it on youtube just to like get the gist of what was going on um wow. so def but definitely because the mask thing cite the daft punk movie in in the description because that, that is officially my next suggestion uh and Beautiful. there's camaraderie between and the two brothers the two robots too so yeah, yeah fuck it that's uh, this in my this Perfect. is just straight up a remake of that now never mind and if we you know r real quick real quick before my next puzzle piece uh speaking of daft punk uh the music and uh, this one was i think better i i think it was better than the first one but i and i could be wrong here i'd have to like look up credits mm -hmm. or whatever i know this is a work in yeah. progress I could swear some of that music is not original. It was original. like Kent music, yes. 100%. Uh, because the, there was one piece that I'm almost I, certain I, was from Sakari. Your, oh, from Sakari. Okay, maybe that's not what I was thinking of then. Uh, Which well, one I are you thinking, thinking of? I was just thinking of the super hokey music when he's left alone in the motel room and she leaves oh, yeah. for the phone call. And it suddenly sounds yeah. like a horror movie set in like steampunk England or something like that. It's like... <laughs> Um, it was great. I love that piece. Yeah, that, that was, was that was great. so bizarro. Like it was, it was like they yeah. were trying to get at Carnival Weird, but I don't think they hit it at all. Um, yeah, I don't know. That was really strange. I, I liked it though. Um, but yeah, overall, I, I I think they did a better job with the music on this one. But I'm I am very curious of whether or not it was all original because the first one you could tell it was just you know a guy from a yeah. band who. I, was trying to score a movie, whereas this one kind of was like, for the most part, except for like that piece you just mentioned, it was much more film score-ish for the most I part. There was still some no, of that. I did that notice did. that there were multiple credits for the music in the credits. Um, and one I'm pretty sure was the, the name of the dude who's like the drummer from Imagine Dragons or something like that, like last time. But, oh, okay. but then at the bottom, there was also a credit for like what looked like a group. It may have been the name of like the production company that he used or something. Huh. Um, but, yeah, but I yeah. definitely remember uh, multiple people being credited. Speaking of the credits, did you notice the line producer was Mark Damon? No, really? Yeah. <laughs> so I wonder if there's no actual line producer and they just. Because well, like a, a line in. producer's job is just the guy <laughs> who keeps shit together, right? Like, like keeps things right. Right. Yeah. And, and the credits yeah. were over quick. Like it was like twenty people on. That yeah, movie, it was very. Which, short which I'm actually credits. happy about. Like, like sometimes you see these movies that look like seem pretty ghetto, but like still like a hundred people worked on it. Um, I would be very interested in comparing the production credits between the two movies mm -hmm. to see if there was a lot of differences, like you implied that maybe there was reshoots, um, and they went back yeah, in and yeah. put in a lot of stuff. Um, what I would really love, this isn't the case, but um, if. Like they didn't even tell Tommy about the reshoots. So just, he's watching the movie for the first time. And there's like a subplot with like a Mexican rapist who turns into two face. Um, 
which is great because I don't know if you've seen that clip of Tommy doing his Joker. And who gets race racist stereotypes? Oh, it definitely was it de- for no it for no reason. Was. Um, oh, you know, though, they did include that thing in the beginning of, you know, there, there was the interview with TMZ at the beginning, and and Greg uh-huh. described the movie as what? Breaking Bad meets what? Um, Nightcrawler. And I actually thought that was a great description. That was a... Yeah, that, that was, was pretty good. I, I, I've seen Breaking Bad. I know what Nightcrawler is. I actually thought, like, that was a surprisingly succinct description, especially for what they were trying to get at. Um, yeah, I had those written down. Actually, I was going to mention those uh, uh, towards the end. But yeah, they're, they're both great examples uh, that should be added to the list for sure, because they both fit. Hey, if Greg doesn't show up on the podcast, we can just cite him for those too yeah. and include him anyway. We'll just say that he told us those uh, yeah, directly. Yeah, we, we, we've gotten in with CMZ. It's called arriving yeah. 45 seconds before mm-hmm. the movie starts <laughs> at a Fathom event. It's just an inside. So I, I, <laughs> so I only have one more, uh, <laughs> I only have one more puzzle yeah. piece. Uh, my, my last one is Quentin Tarantino. Oh my God. I was um, thinking natural born killers, but I haven't seen that. So I didn't say yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I mean, it kind of goes hand in hand with the reasons why, uh, the Coen yes. brothers. Um, but you know, specifically more the dialogue with yes. this, um, which I think was written, these characters like for being like little, uh, like there's like a character per scene kind of, except yes. for uh, Uncle Rick. Um, they all are pretty well fleshed out for being such a ridiculous little movie. Um, and they all have like these quirks and these character oh, traits and, you, you know, and uh, yeah, I, I mean, in, they, a, in they, a lot of ways, a lot of like great little one line, a lot of road trip movies, right? Like a lot of those comedy road, like, like a Harold and Kumar type movie or whatever, like yeah. where it's just every scene. It's a, you know, what? yeah, fuck it. I'll, I'll even go with exactly Harold and Kumar for an example of that. Yeah. Of just like of just every, every scene, there's a new super zany person. Um, and I definitely, yeah. I, I felt that the biggest disconnect for the characters for me, away from being something Quentin Tarantino, like you were saying, was like, there was still so much of the like, there's dead air before a character starts talking, um, mm-hmm. stuff that like, I wonder, like, it may have been bad acting, or it may have just been editing, making the acting seem worse than it was, Um like I feel like they they could have and should have gotten gotten something better out of the weird motel guy. Um, it seemed like he was capable of that, and the lines he had mm-hmm. were very funny and very memorable. But the fact that there was like weird pauses before everything he said and everyone responding to him, um, it just it just seemed like that made everything seem a little more childish, and it made um, amateurish, um, and it made the right. things that were intended to be zany sometimes just come across as amateurish instead of unprofessional instead of zany. Uh, and I wonder if the reason they're like that, um, it, it could very well be exactly that, but it also kind of felt like, uh, and I don't want to put the film down because I did really enjoy it, but, but like, uh, less talented version of like the Coen brothers or Quentin Tarantino sure. with like, with, with those long takes and like, like long drawn out scenes, you know, where they really take their time with things. And, uh, but it's just with them, you're talking about some of the greatest writers, directors, and actors 
ever doing that. Whereas this, it's, you know, a little bit of a different caliber. Yeah. I have um, been trying to think of like a modern day Bonnie and Clyde type movie to compare it to, but I really wasn't mm. familiar with any recent ones. Can can you think of any any recent movies that sort of have that? I guess they don't have to be recent, but movies newer than Bonnie and Clyde that sort of have that right, aspect. Right. And that's why I was under the impression that Natural Born Killers was basically just if Quentin Tarantino did Bonnie and Clyde. I don't know if that's an accurate description or not. Um, that's why I didn't cite it, but um, I, was, I was trying right, to right. think. Right. Well, that's yeah. not Tarantino. No, that's he, he wrote, uh, it. He wrote um, it, didn't he? Oh, yeah, yes, I, I think he, he wrote it, it and Oliver Stone directed it. I think. Oliver Stone directed it. It may have yeah. been one of those ones where it got like rewritten a lot. Um, right, right. But I, I mean, I actually like Tarantino as a writer much better than a, as a director. So that actually mm. seems like maybe the kind of. I, I love him. Regardless. I, I, I am so <laughs> dead in the target audience of people who should adore Quentin Tarantino. He, he just oh, doesn't sure, do anything right. for me. Um, oh, like, like I, I, I made so it good. through Django, and that's about it. Well, I will say Django is probably my least favorite well, of his movies. I, I don't know why everybody loves most, it so much. Like mainstream accessible type one. Um, that might be I, why. I, I, that I that is weird, it. but. Um, yeah, like, like that, I that normally like weirdness in movies, but it always just feels very masturbatory with him. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it probably well, actually is, is him. with him. But um, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I like, like, I mean, you give me, give me something like fucking Dusk Till Dawn, best of both worlds for me. Of uh, Tarantino's writing, Rodriguez's directing, I'm on board all sure. day. I got to rewatch Dusk Till Dawn. That's a great movie. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've seen it since I was a kid. Kids should not watch from Dusk Till Dawn. And I think it was like, oh, I watched it a I think lot. It was like I, was I saw Spy Kids, and then I saw Dusk Till Dawn. I was like, oh, this is the same guy. Nice. Um, nice. Oh, now I want to tie it to a Robert Rodriguez movie just because I feel like I haven't brought him up on this podcast yet, and I should give him some love. Um, <laughs> uh, you'll you'll get your chance. I, I don't think I don't think you're going to do it. With Shark this Boy one. and Lava I mean, Girl. May, may... <laughs> yeah, there you go. It's a little. Them. I'm putting it on the list. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. So yeah. So I think I think we're at our finished uh, puzzle here. So let me let me. Uh, yeah, let me read down the list here. We got uh, we got Coen Brothers films. We got Harold and Kumar. We got the Daft Punk movie. We got Quentin Tarantino films. We got Napoleon Dynamite, Saw, Psycho, Adaptation, uh, Western films, Cloud Atlas, and Get Out. And then also we will take uh, Greg's um, uh, choices and put Breaking Bad and Nightcrawler. Uh, it's well. called Daft Punk Presents Electro-Rama. Oh, no, no, no. Electrama. Slightly different. Electrama. E basically. Um, okay. And it's, it's 2006. Right, I, got it. I got it written down here. Um, about two robots who want to become human. Movie has been criticized for mostly being walking scenes in the desert. Um, although, oh, actually, this story, the, the film ends with the robot completely on fire, walking in slow motion through the darkness. That seems like the kind of thing that if Tommy could have found a way to put that in this movie, like a scene of a dude on fire walking through the night, they would have. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Fact, I thought absolutely. I remembered that I misremembered um, that the scene showing the flames in the preview for part attached to part one actually had a guy on yeah. fire. So if that was the case. I would just say, fuck it. This is a remake of Electrama. Like, <laughs> oh, man, I, I, the more and more like I'm. This is just Electrama meets Harold and Kumar. That's all it is. We're done. Like, 
There you go. Electro would be terrible. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll have a thing with, with Uncle yeah, Rico. Rico. Um, on, uh, we'll, we'll pick like a Saturday and then we'll both start Electrama at the same time and we'll see who lasts longer because <laughs> apparently it's a slog. Perfect. I'll get some oh, friends God. over. We'll all just wear robot costumes and drink motor oil or something. I can't. I can't wait. Just I can't wait. To so uh, to, to wrap yeah. this one up because. Uh, I, it's actually I can't believe it's gone this long with no like no. preparation, no oh, notes, I, no I anything. Think I think this is uh, gone incredible. Say it was inspired by the room because it very much was not this one. Uh, I know this one was first, very first different one from the room, was uh, but and a lot of callbacks yeah. to the room and stuff like that. And that makes me sort of wonder if yeah. maybe originally, um, if the whole saw aspect of the movie was always part of it when it was intended to be one movie um if originally mm -hmm. those segments were going to start much earlier um you know what i'm saying yeah. like yeah, like it was going to be more of an even distribution of the you're you're right. seeing tommy threatening greg who's tied to a chair but also then it cuts to the two of them in vegas drunk setting off fireworks and you're like how did it all go wrong i i feel like I feel like if this movie does even a little bit okay, um, it, once it comes out on DVD and all that, um, I feel like 10 years from now we might get like another cut or something. Like uh, not a director's cut, but like I a writer's cut. I was in my cut, mind like a, a actually thinking cut. like if I wanted to try combine this into one movie, how would I do that? And I was trying to think like – Yeah. Because I think if you just took the best parts of the first one, which is the, the bromance – and the callbacks, uh -huh. they wouldn't fit organically in with like any of what we see in this movie. So I don't really know. Um, but I would, I'd be yeah. very interested in that, like a like a three hour combined cut. Well, that being said, uh, how how did you like uh, Best Friends I, Volume Two? I had two? a lot of fun watching it. I was walking into it. I was really really excited by the fact that the commercial at the end of Part One made it seem like the cinematic equivalent of a fever dream. And it yeah. was, I was really worried that the movie was going to be a mostly another straightforward average thriller kind of movie. And that they just took like five scenes out of context and mashed them together mm -hmm. to make it look trippy at the end. But no, it, it like it did have long stretches of just bizarre interactions. But I think this movie justified the bizarre interactions a lot more. Um, it was, it, it benefited a lot from the flashback structure of you were never on one thing for too long, which kind of can be right. a problem with these types of movies. Um, yeah, I, I enjoyed almost every aspect of it more. And if you re listen to the first one, one of the first things I said was that my friends who watched the movie as a spiritual successor to The Room were disappointed myself who watched mm. it as a spiritual successor to Tommy and Greg, I was not disappointed. And I think that carries mm -hmm. a lot more in a lot of ways to this movie of maybe it's not so much a spiritual successor to Tommy and Greg because they're not on camera as much, but it is just batshit manic energy. Um, and I think it's sure. it, like, I would sure. much rather watch this one at a bad movie night than the first one. Um, so I'm sure. a little different. Uh, I think I would prefer the first one only because there's more Tommy. That's and fair. I, you know, the Tommy stuff still, even in this one, is some of the best stuff. Except for Uncle Rick is a oh, is a, a beautiful pleasure. addition to the uh, Tommy oh, with Sonaverse. Maybe if we can't get Greg, let's try to get that guy. 
Like fucking yeah, right. Yeah, he's like, he's yeah. amazing. He's he's great. And like it's it's not always <laughs> that hard to get non-famous people to agree to do a podcast interview. Like if, if right? this is like one of the yeah, what, yeah what's he right? doing? Like he's probably on IMDb. He's, he's probably got a Twitter. Fuck it. Maybe I'll. No, I'm gonna tweet him for sure. You you do it too. Let's get him. Um, maybe we can get him for like a mini episode for next week or something like that. Uh, yeah, that'd be, that would that'd be, be real. That would cool. be amazing. Uh, he might have the same answer that he can't do. Um, so, for those of us uh, people who don't know, um, uh, we did reach out to try to get Greg onto this podcast. Uh, but the answer you were given was what that like technically, both volume one and volume two are still rough cuts, so they're not doing press. Yeah, technically, th- this is a work in progress, which I did see they tweeted that as well okay, uh, just I, recently. I so. That. Yeah, so that that is um, being put out there that these are in fact rough cuts. Even though I think when they first started promoting that these screenings were going to happen, no, they did not no. say that. But now no. they're saying that. Um, but that's cool. I mean, I'm interested to see how it's going to change once it comes uh, down the road. And they did say that the opportunity might be there for us to talk to someone associated with this. So I, I'm hoping that could yeah, happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, that would be awesome. And as you know, as far as it being a rough cut. You know, I I do think that there is room for a little bit of cutting to make this a little bit tighter and just and really make it something awesome because it really is a pretty freaking good movie. Just like the first one I thought was surprisingly a good movie. This one, too. They're very watchable movies. I just thought this one was a little long. Being snappier would help. Unfortunately, there's really nothing they can do about the film quality, which I think is the biggest like, oh, this is like very apparently. But um, man, if if these are not rough cuts, they got to fire their fucking sound mixer. Um, both this one and the last one. Um, Mark Damon is not doing his job keeping the sound mixer in line. Um, there's like one very specific moment when like Uncle Rico is reliving his college days, and like before he finishes his sentence, the like depressing sound cue kicks in. And if you're not like reading his lips, you you don't know what the second half of that sentence was. <laughs> like, uh, and there were a few moments like it. And I like on one hand, sure, if fucking Christopher Nolan can do it with Dunkirk. Oh, Christopher Nolan does not have a good no, sound No, but he, he does either, it on purpose. So, yeah. And like, on one hand, like, if I'm going to say that he's my favorite director, I apparently have to tolerate that. But if I won't tolerate it from yeah. him, I'm probably not going to tolerate it from uh, you know Justin McGregor. Or I think I, I think that was I, yeah. I'm almost ready to put Justin McGregor above Christopher Nolan on my list of favorite directors. <laughs> I don't know if he's done it. Just because I'm annoyed with Christopher yeah, yeah, Nolan no, that's, right that's now fair. because of uh, how much I just I think, like. Dunker. I think that's everyone's relationship um, with Christopher Nolan. It's like even the people who really like him. Like a little bit by him. <laughs> this film brought to you by Westworld season two, yeah. produced by Jonathan Nolan. So. <laughs> so you know to wrap this all up um i did have yeah. one last thing i wanted to talk about uh we kind of mentioned it before we started recording um oh, okay <laughs> it's really very unclear about the whole tied to the uh, uh, handcuff to the spiral staircase scene when is that happening what the hell is happening there i'd love to hear your theory and i want to give you my theory um okay so i guess to work backwards from this is I'm trying to recall, did Tommy ever actually take... I don't think Tommy's face was ever actually visible in any of the Saw scenes, right? Because when... Well, it was at the very end when he takes the mask off the last time, but it's also only a tight right. shot. 
So you don't see him okay, and Greg well, in the well, same so, shot. So he takes think. off the night helmet and he puts on the Greg mask and then he takes off the Greg mask and it's Greg underneath. And then mm-hmm. later on they do show actual Tommy. Okay. Yes. Okay, I, yeah. I remember so I'm definitely thinking that that whole framing device was probably added in after the fact, like you said. Um, mm-hmm. I And they, they show syringes implying that he like drugged him or something but so i guess if i had to explain how i would think this happened would be um the the lovely scene of tommy and greg holding hands walking away from the ranch while greg is still in his fucking handcuffs um for no reason Mm -hmm. then they get in the car and like tommy awkwardly shoves him in the car like a criminal for no real reason even though they're buddy buddy ish at this point then he drives him back to the house that Human Centipede was filmed in. And then he says, excuse me, I'm going to take your handcuffs off and re-handcuff you to a spiral staircase. And then I'm going to lecture you about when life gives you lemons for a while. And we're going to recap everything we both already know. And then I'm going to buy you a house. Like, I have no fucking idea. Like, like in my mind, that's the <laughs> steps that happen. Because that those are the steps that the camera shows us. So, Okay, yeah, you ready absolutely. for my theory? Okay, my theory is much, much, much is darker. That, this than that. is all like Greg dying, imagining this. Okay, cool. No, it is that that is what happens in, in the house, Greg's child childhood house that Tommy buys him. I'm okay that, with that the movie you think it's ending as a happy ending with him getting his house, but actually, as soon as they go inside, Tommy uh, ties him up. I would up love and that, except Greg does him. ask who Malmo is while he's tied to the to the um spiral staircase but, son no, of a but bitch like, i was right. so okay. ready Never to mind. be on board with this. <laughs> um, i was so ready but i'm i'm like 90 percent sure he, he's he says like just fucking tell me who malmo is man like 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 it around the point I where i think Greg you're right gives up. yeah like <laughs> damn it i was so i was, I was so I was really uh, up for this, this dark ending Oh mm. man! And then if, I, and we, if oh, we rewatch man, it, so we gotta dark. try double check because presumably the guy who was tailing them was Tommy. But I definitely thought it was a yeah. I think I it was a different face than the cop mask, and it seems really weird that they would mm-hmm. spend so much time showing us all the other masks that he would then be wearing one they didn't show. Uh, and maybe maybe it was a really tinted window, so maybe I just wasn't noticing the beard. Yeah. But I definitely thought I remember because originally my guess had been that it was the fat guy from behind the counter at the uh, locksmith shop. But I very distinctly remember being like, "Oh, the guy wearing the sunglasses um, in the car tailing them seemed more clean shaven than him, and the cop was less right, clean right. shaven than him." So. I mean, I just think he has a lot of different masks, and like, yeah, they didn't really set it up, but like. He's got lots of mess, so he could have oh, just not done another it one. Plausible, for that scene. But to me, that just screams deleted yeah. scene or something because they 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 make a pretty big deal. <laughs> There's a lot but of, they, but they do make a pretty big deal about providing justifications for every mask he has. Um, sure, that's true. So, so that's why that seems weird to me. That if it's not the cop mask, why is it another mask? Um. We should probably watch this again oh before we God. get someone from the movie in it. 
I know. I, I, I hope that we get the opportunity to see it again yes. because uh, I was really hoping I'd be able to see volume one again before I saw volume oh, two. Trying but to summarize, hopefully yeah, they to, get to this thing out listening to this, You do not have to have seen volume one to see part two. Um, and, and if you're okay with not treating it as a successor to the room, it, it gives you everything you need. But interestingly enough is it makes part one seem like a very different movie based on the clips it takes from yeah, part one. Yeah, they're very different. And it shows clips from part one in a context of part two. And it makes it seem like part two is part one is also this like gritty psychological thriller. When in reality, that's like a third no. of part one. I'm not entirely sure okay. if I agree with you that you don't need to have seen part I, one. I did see it with people um, who didn't see part one, by the way. Yeah, because like, yes, it is its own movie, 100%, and it would work as its own movie, yeah. I think, but it's like, I well, think... Well, it, it just it, changes the dynamic. It would have to be pretty fucking weird, like, pretty fucking, like, confused about some things. But yeah, maybe it, it just does. changes it the does. dynamic. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, a, that's a big yeah. part of it, is most of the stuff they leave out as... Expl they, they don't explain, or they don't reference from part one, um, is stuff It's like, oh, wow, like, this plot point is just isn't... Like, the fact that they were selling gold pieces... From and that he's in mortuary. Yeah, that's not right. relevant anymore. You don't actually need to know that <laughs> for this really one. Not. You don't really need to know how they got the money. You just start this movie and you assume it's a movie about a guy who robs. Like you think it's a different movie than it is, but it is a movie that works on its own. Is a better way to put it. I would say. Like you would you would misguess what part <laughs> one was about, but it still works without seeing part one. Um, I, I don't recommend doing right, that, right. but it, but it does. And if we're you know trying to stay on you know Greg and Tommy's good side and stuff, we should obviously be pushing people to go see this movie. Um, yeah. So. <laughs> oh man. So uh, uh, this was a very yeah. fun one to talk about. Any uh, any final closing uh, I remarks? Probably, I should probably make up and everything's a Cloverfield to plug it right now. But I think we're just kind of like it's it's like midnight right now, and we're just emotionally and spiritually drained. This movie. Like, 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 I'm still I'm processing the movie in the back of my head while we're talking about it, and I'm pretty sure you are as well. And um, if you guys see, you know, Best Friends Volume 1 and 2, keep an eye out for that again. Um, tweet at Greg, tweet at Mark, tweet at Uncle Rico. Um, let them all let know them, that we want, want them, them on, on our show. show. We, want, we want to do a mini episode to follow this up, like around the time when the, yes, the yeah, uh, we absolutely want to cover this more. We don't want to burn bridges with these guys. Um, you know, I, I think we've, we've met most of them before in some capacity and we'd love to see them keep doing movies. So um, if like all three of our fans could get on board and tweet at, uh, fuck, no, my grandma doesn't have Twitter and she's one of our four fans. So we're done. Uh, Damn it. But anyone else, tweet at those it. guys and let's let's try and make some magic happen for best friends volume three with greg sestero as yes. batman and tommy wiseau as the joker <laughs> and mexican rapist as two-face um crazy uncle rico is <laughs> bane because he's jacked af um that girl was super Catwoman. we don't even need to explain that one um, oh, of course. Absolutely. I guess crazy locksmith guy is probably like the Riddler or something. I don't know. Oh, wouldn't um wouldn't the uh, bed and breakfast guy be Alfred? 
would love can we just talk about how much better um if every time michael kane in the dark knight trilogy walked away from christian bale under his voice he just went bitch like or how, how would michael kane pronounce <laughs> bitches like but if, if every bitches. time uh, master wayne bitches. i guess we'll see you now bitches was such a fun episode to do um tommy was so greg sestero please make another movie and also please come be on the show i would love so much to talk to you guys and run these particular puzzle pieces by you and see what you think of uh what we are suggesting was in your minds uh when you were coming up with this stuff because such fun movie um yeah just just craziness you know uh, but we really did enjoy it, and uh, we really enjoyed making this episode. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure that you are subscribed to the show on whatever your uh, podcast app of choice is. And speaking of which, uh, we are now on Stitcher. So that's another place where you can subscribe to the show. So uh, pretty soon we're going to be on everywhere, and then uh, you have no excuse. you got to just subscribe, right? Uh, but also make sure you leave a review, rate us, and send us some feedback. And also make sure to check out piecingpod.com for all the new episodes, for a bunch of other stuff. We're going to be doing some giveaways pretty soon. Um, a lot of cool stuff coming in the future here uh, now that we're back on track making new episodes and everything. Uh, I also wanted to mention a couple of quick things before we close this up. Uh, Piecing It Together was recently featured on the 25 podcasts you should be listening to right now on soapbox. So thank you so much to them for that, uh, because that was completely, uh, uh, unexpected and really, really cool. Um, also I was just a guest on the rock and comedy show on radio Vegas rocks. And I want to thank them for having me on. There's a link on the website, uh, for how to go check that out. Uh, I talk about my music. I talk about wax tracks records, and I talk about these podcasts, so it's, it's a fun show, and it was a great conversation. So definitely check that out. All these links are on piecingpod.com or on our Facebook page. So, yeah, I think that's about it. Um, we've got two more episodes that we're recording this week. So, like I said, we're trying to get right back on track and get a whole bunch of new episodes out there for you. Um, but, again, thank you so much for listening. Thanks for the support so far. We got so much more coming soon. Uh, we're really enjoying doing the show. Leave us some feedback. We want to know how you're liking it. We want to know if you did get a chance to uh, catch Best Friends Volume 2 uh, in the two screenings that Fathom Events put on. Let us know what you thought of it. Let us know if you think we're right with these movies that we think inspired it. Let us know if you think we left something out. Um, and if you didn't catch it, I'm sure there's going to be screenings coming up at some point at a city near you, so definitely go check it out and we will work on getting those guys to be on this show when the uh, DVD Blu-ray comes out because I would love to make that happen. So again, thanks for listening and we'll talk to you soon. <laughs>